What's up, guys? Four Corners dropping a new episode today. I'm joined by uh, my co-host Peter Rugginson's '88. How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, good to be back. You know, didn't didn't take much time off. I mean, was busy all weekend moving, but you know, I, I I'm gone for one show, and, and then here I hear you comparing Vlaco Chanchar, who hasn't done anything in his NBA career to this point to jingling Joe Ingles. Did I hear that correctly? Yes. What I do you have feel to say like for yourself? I double down. Uh, Vlaco is a combo for Joe Ingles. Um, I, you can, you can add me. Okay. At Rayvon Hackshaw, if you agree or support me in my crusade to get Vlaco more playing time. And I have, I, I have no remorse, no remorse for what I said and mm-hmm. had nothing to do with you being gone. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I don't. Well, okay. I, mean, I couldn't check you in the moment, so I had to bring it up. <laughs> All right, I'm, I, I stand behind what I say. Okay. Uh, so we're also joined by Jake Bronco Squatch. Uh, how have you been? I've been great, guys. I mean, this is the slowest part of the off season till we get into September and stuff, and so I'm just happy to have some basketball to talk about and uh, get getting ready for the season. I'm excited for it. Hell yeah! I assume you're also a football guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like, you know, I grew up in Denver, so, you know, it's a big football city. And so obviously grew up a Broncos fan and uh, it always meant Smart a lot man. growing up. And so I, so it is exciting, too, for sure. Um, but but nothing beats watching watching some good Nuggets games. So, yes, I feel like I feel like, though, this is this is peak optimism season for any NFL fan. I feel like if you can't be optimistic in late August, like when can you be? Oh, yeah, I mean, that, that's the fun thing about the NFL is I think so many fan bases can convince themselves that they can win, which is fun. You know, I mean, in the NBA, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's got to be at least 10 teams that just know right now, like, we have no shot. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So well, I mean, the NFL has more random chance, too. I mean, the ball yeah. isn't round, right. so it literally can bounce a different way on a fumble and, like, you know, half the games come down to turnovers anyway. So, I mean, you, only do, you literally do have more of a chance. Only in the NFL can you go sub 500 and make the playoffs. I mean, Ray, didn't you guys win a Super Bowl when you basically got like outgained by the Titans by like 200 yards in that AFC Championship game? We don't have to talk about that. All right. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I you won, so it's not like it I just count. Yeah, I see two rings, and I don't ask any questions. Ooh. Right. Hey. It, it'd be like that sometimes. I mean, some people don't get one. And so I feel pretty fortunate, pretty lucky uh, in my in my sports life that, um, you know, the teams I, I support end up winning eventually. So I'm hoping that that kind of translates oh, a little bit. You need to, to carry that over to the Nuggets. I do. I genuinely do. I feel like I've met a lot of Nuggets fans who, who believe that, like, oh, no, you know, it's just not going to happen. Nug life, it's never no, going to come our right. way. And I just, I believe. I think it's not going to be easy. And a lot of things have to go our way, but I think it's going to happen. I'm pretty confident in my lifetime. Hopefully in this gen- – I'm pretty sure. I mean, how many two-time MVPs, knock on wood, don't have a championship? Steve Nash. I don't know who else off the top of my head. I think Nicola, much longer dominant strain stretch than uh, Steve Nash is going to have. I'm, I'm optimistic, but we'll see. That's a fair point. Um, so – to start us off, uh, Jake, Bronco Squatch, you've kind of become like some of maybe the numbers guy 
in the uh, just Denver sports community at large. But tell us uh, a little bit just about your kind of background in history and how you got into into the Nuggets, into basketball, into sports in general. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, growing up, I always liked sports, obviously. And when I got into college, uh, one thing that helped put me through college was I helped teams broadcast their games. I did a bunch of stuff with TV production and stuff. That's cool. Um, and I was able to build some connections with people that actually work for the teams and not just the production people. Um, and I really grew a love for basketball. Uh, people know that I know a lot about the CBA. I've sat down and I've read that once all the way through. Um, and right now I'm working through it a second time. Uh, it's like it's like reading the Bible. It's like, <laughs> there's, <laughs> a, there's about like 200 pages of it that are just really hard to read. Uh, but I'm, I'm so about it's like reading that. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, yeah. Uh, but I yeah, I mean, I, I made connections with a lot of really cool people, uh, people that work in front offices right now and uh, have been really kind to me uh, and it's much appreciated. But um, and then right now I work for a, a sports data and artificial intelligence and company uh, that's out of Chicago. It's called Stats Perform. Uh, so we work with a lot of sports clients and stuff. Uh, so I'm actually not able to publicize a lot of the cool work I do, um, but on my Twitter and stuff, I'll, I'll tweet out a lot of cool stats that I do have access to um, and, and put out some reports occasionally that I think are really helpful, uh, especially when it comes to CBA stuff. So uh, just really happy with uh, the people I know, the people that have helped me. And so uh, it's been a great experience. Nice. Um, um, do you... Go ahead, Peter. Oh, I was just going to say, um, so – that's really interesting that you have some connections. What I was going to ask about stats-wise, though, is I know for years uh, teams that play in Denver, you know, the national broadcast always bring up how you know playing at altitude is an advantage, and I think that's that's been proven in all the sports except baseball. I mean, you know, it's an advantage for the hitters, not necessarily the pitchers, but um, is there anything with that that you've looked into? maybe more uh in depth than just like wins and losses like does it does it affect players careers at all whether they get to play for the nuggets versus not play for the nuggets or jazz <clears throat> yeah that's a super interesting point i mean you know i do a lot of analyt analytics and stuff and there's different like subsections of it there's people that do stuff related to like health and how your body reacts yeah um, that's less of what i do i do more of like game insights and, and scouting things like that but you know people have done studies on you know who who best fits on a team like denver that plays a certain style right you know you can find that all over the place and you know i think of some of the nuggets teams i watched growing up there were guys that you can kind of pick out and say this guy was really good in denver you know i wonder if that had to do with the altitude and the style of play I mean, like Corey Brewer is one that I kind of just about up. to say, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, he, yeah, he played my pretty well player. in Denver, and you know, I don't know if that's stylistic or or if it comes down to the altitude or both, but but there's definitely something to it for sure, and uh, a lot of people smarter than me doing studies on that type of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's you know that's a big part of basketball that's honestly super underrated to me is like people talk about talent and skill and size and durability and yes those things are important but to me the number one skill you got to have in basketball is you got to be in shape 
I mean, if the other guy you're going against is 10% worse than you, but he's in better shape than you, he's going to make that up and then some because he's just going to beat you down the floor, get layups. And that's what Corey Brewer did. I mean, those Charles Carl's teams, you know, they weren't the most talented teams in the league, but they just wore you down by running up and down the court. And then by the third quarter, you're gassed. Um, you know, that's one thing that's a little more frustrating about this era is the Nuggets don't really run that much. But of course, you know, Jokic and Murray are such good half-court players that it's it's translated more to playoff success. So I can't really complain. It's it's kind of been interesting that after all these years of the Nuggets being around and very little success, they finally kind of decided, you know what, maybe we need to focus less on using the altitude to our advantage and just try to build a traditional team that can win at the highest level. Yeah, for sure. It is always one of the things that uh that can tell you if a national person is really watching the Nuggets or not. You do hear it occasionally like, oh, they're going to run you out of the gym there in Denver. And that, that was sure. true five, five, well, probably more than five years now. It was true 10 years ago, but but right. not really the even... case anymore in terms of pace of play and everything. Um, but but they do have some athletes now, and and I think they're they're going to try and work in the transition game a little more this year. So. Yeah, I, yeah, I think right. even like early Jokic era, where yeah. it, they weren't as maybe they weren't as fast, but I still feel like even in the half court they were pretty. There was a lot of they were very active, very like mobile. They didn't have a lot of options because they weren't you know the most talented, of course. But it is something that I miss a little bit, and I think uh, I mean that was the some of the best teams that we've had as far as win totals that fifty seven win team, and I think that I mean this team is respectfully way more talented than them, so. You know, uh, one thing I'll ask you this, Jake. Um, it's more of a general optimism question for the Nuggets this season. Where do you feel like they're going to land uh, win total wise? If you had to give maybe a range or or even like a sentiment, just how you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, at this time of the year, you're you're projecting health and things like that. But you know, if they can at least stay relatively healthy um, and avoid a lot of those big catastrophic injuries. I mean, I think, I mean, their ceiling's really high, but what I would project is like what I'd expect with a relatively healthy season is probably 53 to 56, somewhere in there. And if they, if they're really healthy or if like Bones Highland makes a really big jump, they, they could set the franchise record for wins, uh, which would be really fun. So. I, that's kind of where I lean. I kind of, I mean, I'm not a, not a betting man, but I'm but emotionally, I'm emotionally betting on the Nuggets breaking that 57 win uh, team record for sure. Uh, and then another thing I wanted to ask you is like, you kind of have a, like a unique position just in terms of uh, life in, in general. Most people, um, I, I can't imagine, you know, viewers or, or listeners thinking it's there's a very direct path to kind of being in the role that you are uh, what advice would you have for like if, if there was someone listening in high school you know if high school Rayvon is listening uh, what would you say to me or some younger version of, of someone else if they wanted to get into the realm of work that you're in yeah yeah that's a good question and you know one thing I always say and I think this applies to like every field is you always try and like reach out to people that are already doing what you want to do um, and try and get advice from them. 
And like one thing I say is you should never go to somebody and just ask for something. You should always have something that you've done that you can show somebody. So whenever I, you know, try and meet with a new front office person or anything like that, I'm not just reaching out to them and asking for advice. I'm showing them like, hey, this is a project I did. Like, what do you think of it? Or I'm showing them some type of insight that I have. You know, I always have something that I can bring to the table. Um, and I think that's really important because it shows you're serious about it um, and that you're willing to put in that work. Um, so that's definitely the most important thing to me um, is just showing you can do it and bringing that to the table uh, rather than just asking for things. So cool. Uh, Jake, so along those lines in a, a little bit, um, we've seen a lot of interesting studies done about the NBA from various analysts. Um, things like, you know, the home and road splits, the rest advantage, you know, the back-to-backs, all that kind of stuff. I was just curious, you know, whether it was recently or as you were just getting into following all the stats, was there anything that you were more curious about, something maybe that you wanted to know more about and then sort of did a deep dive on it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I do know a lot about the the CBA and and roster building. And so one thing I always slant towards is, is there a way for me to project how much money a guy will be worth by the end of his contract? Because I think that's always a, an important thing. Yeah. A lot of times we pay guys based on, on what they're worth now, but you also want to be looking into the future. And so like, that's a question that I still go back to um, and that I, I try and examine on um, things like that. But, you know, one project I did when I was, first kind of getting into this this business was I did a G League project just because that's kind of where you start when you're trying okay. to work in sports is you start with something lower. Um, and I did this this G League project that a guy who's with uh, the Sacramento Kings now um, had me, you know, not really like help the organization, but it was just something that he wanted to do. I mean, I was able to help him with that. And that was a really cool starting point. It kind of gives you a some insight into how talent evaluation works. Um, and that kind of goes into the contract stuff too. So uh, it's all talent evaluation, um, but there's a lot of cool things that that I hope to do in the future and that I've been able to do already, so. I think that's a fascinating point because I think as fans, it's so easy for us to watch the games, watch a box score and then say, oh, Tobias Harris, he's so overpaid. It's like, well, what was the market? I mean, if the choice was either pay him the max or somebody else pays him the max and losing for nothing, now teams have a choice to make. Most teams don't want to just lose guys for nothing. I mean, the last team I remember that happening to was uh, when the Kings lost Bogdan Bogdanovich. And everybody was like, what the hell are you guys doing? You know, <laughs> at least just sign him. If you think he's overpaid, now you can trade him for something else. So it, it's always fascinating to me what contracts guys get because, Jake, I'm sure you'd agree, there's very few players in the league that are actually paid like what their worth is. It's it's almost always somewhat of an underpay or an overpay. You know, I think if you look back now, the Nuggets severely underpaid for Monte Morris. I mean, he, that was a great contract for us. Uh, I mean, yeah, we didn't know Jamal was going to get hurt, but to come in and basically give like 75, 80% of the production at $9 million a year is fantastic. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, there's there's people that will say, like, 
whatever you get paid is what you're worth. I don't necessarily agree <laughs> with those people. Like, I think there is. You like, don't think uh, Timothy Moskov was worth $100 million? <laughs> definitely not. So I think there is some like evaluation in there, even though some people will kind of point at the free market and, and disagree. But but yeah, I mean, you point at that Monte Morris contract and, you know, somebody reported, I don't remember who, but uh, Calvin Booth was one of the big proponents of negotiating that extension uh, that Monte got. And so just kind of another thing that gives you faith in Calvin going forward. Um, oh, yeah. And he's already made some good moves and hopefully we'll see him uh, make some more. So it's been refreshing um, because he's been very bold to start his career as, as like the main guy. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, are we talking Calvin here? Or are you talking Monte? Uh, Ca- Calvin. Yeah. Because yeah. well, <laughs> it is kind of similar when you, when you put it that way, but Monte's his own bowl, I think, but yeah. 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 But yeah, I mean, Calvin, you know, he's, he's put in a lot of work. Um, and I know the exit of Tim Connolly was, it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths, including me, uh, just because of how it happened. Uh, but I don't think that should kind of influence what we think of Calvin. You know, I think we should give him a chance to build a roster that that he sees fit. Um, and I already like some of the steps he's taken. So uh, I think he'll do a great job. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm excited for him. But, uh, yeah, real quick on Conley. I mean, I think the reason so many of us were upset was it's not like he left in the middle of the night. This report was out there for multiple days. So it was definitely like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. Here's a chance to match. And the Nuggets were like, eh, go ahead. <laughs> there was also the the Wizards negotiation. So it kind of like almost extends that window as well in, in those terms. So, you know, it is what it is at this point. I don't think I'm too upset at him or, well, I don't have to think about Nuggets ownership every day. So, right. It's out of sight, out of mind, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, all I'd say is hopefully it just, helps ownership learn a lesson about you know keeping guys under contract that you want to have around and things like that so you know hopefully they take that and move forward with it yeah definitely i always like to remain optimistic that that you know as much as players can learn and grow and develop as players on and off the court i think coaches front office staff ownership even can learn from things and and i've always felt like even if you know, people may or may not want to throw the label around of being cheap or not, but I think um, the Nuggets ownership is pretty competent. I, I don't think that's that's very debatable. They always bring in people who I've, I've found to be talented, uh, for better or worse. I mean, very few exceptions there, I should say. Right when you see um, when you see things like Kroenke is the owner of the Rams, they win a Super Bowl. Owner of the Abs, they win a Cup. Does that give you? more confidence more optimism or do you look at it as like two completely separate things i kind of see it as two separate factors um there's a willingness to spend money and then there's knowing what to spend the money on i think at the very baseline seeing these other examples uh says that maybe for the right things that they're willing to spend the money on and when they do want to spend the money, more importantly, they know what to spend it on, which is good. So they're responsible spenders. <laughs> I'd rather they be competent and a little cheap than, you know, there are others in sport. Sure. Maybe they want to spend money and they don't know what to spend, them on, spend it on, or they just don't want to spend money at all. 
And so to that end, I think the, the Nuggets are, you know, despite the criticisms, which, you know, Mayor Egan Levy, if you want to, uh, I, I think I have to feel better about the, the Cronkies than I do about a lot of ownership in sports, which is a little hard. You, you know who I think is probably the least favorite NBA owner amongst his peers? Steve Ballmer. I mean, that guy just spends money left and right. <laughs> now every fan um, thinks, oh, why can't we just have Steve Ballmer just bring in every player? Yeah, and now other I mean, owners are like, ah, oh, man, this guy. <laughs> I think there's like, hey, we all wish we could be, you know, um, who's the Warriors owner? Joe Lacob, I think is his name. Yeah. Is that, is that correct? Uh, yes. We all, we all want to be one of those guys. Um, but I also think there's like, a, hey, at least I'm not James Dolan, <laughs> you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, to your point. So uh, I figured let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we'll talk about the future in the kind of mid-ish term, mid to long term of the Denver Nuggets. And we're back. So this is kind of one of those points in the league where the cap is expected to make a jump. Whether it's uh, a large jump or a small one, I think is kind of up for debate or not up for debate, but we just don't know. I think as, as fans, uh, Jake, I'll, I'll lay this out for you. What are your expectations with the upcoming cap situation across the league uh, compared to what we saw in the mid-teens as far as the cap rising? Do you think it's going to be a sharp rise kind of in a similar way or do you think it's going to be a bit smoother over time this time to avoid some of the the mega contracts prospectively that we saw back then yeah so uh, a lot of the nba's tv deals i mean all their major tv deals are going to expire at the end of uh the 2025 season 2024 2025 um and so then you know these contracts will be up for renegotiation and i've read that the nba wants to like triple their money on these deals. Uh, we'll see if they get that. They very well could because the NBA is pretty popular. Um, but if they do, um, I mean, regardless, they're going to get a ton of money for their TV rights. And so, you know, you did see back in like 2015 or whenever it was, when that TV deal was up, the NBA, they decided to spike the cap, uh, which means a really dramatic increase in one year. And that's why you saw some of those really bad contracts. Um, I think this time around, uh, we'll see more smoothing is what they call it. It's not a spike, it's a smoothing. Um, and so, whereas the cap right now is going up by like 6 million a year, uh, maybe mm -hmm. after that TV money comes through, we'll see a spike of, I don't know, 12 to 15 million a year, um, okay. which doesn't sound like a huge amount, but that's like you double what we're seeing right now. So yeah, uh, it would open you up to a lot of really, bi really big contracts. You know, we'd probably see our first $300 million contract at that point. Um, wow. But yeah, yeah. So it would be less dramatic, but it would open up, you know, possibilities for, for teams to do some different things. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think, you know, I think about guys like Zion, for example, who, he will um, definitely be on the lookout for. Well, Peter, you're you're a kind of adjacent to the situation. I'm gonna make a sidebar here. Uh, how likely do you think Zion is to get like a supermax? 
I would be very surprised if he does not get one because, I mean, it's the same it's the same jargon we've been using for years. You know, it's like all it takes is one dumb GM or one asshole to to mm-hmm. give out a ridiculous contract. And the thing with Zion is like to me, any contract they give him is not ridiculous because he's got the talent. Like he is a bona fide star to me. He just the health question is much more serious. So. You know, it, it's interesting with Zion because there's really not a whole lot of comps for him historically, like his body type, because when I watch him, I, I'm not worried that he's going to break the way that like, you know, I'm sure you guys heard the Chet Holmgren news today. That he hurt his foot already. And that was the concern with him the whole time. It's like, this guy's a twig. You know, Zion's got the opposite problem. He's like so massive that he blew his shoe out when he was at Duke. So I mean, I do, I do remember that. <laughs> like, I think, yeah, for him, it'll be like more degenerative joint issues and things like that. Whereas for Chet, yeah, uh, much like the Reddit comment sections <laughs> are joking about right now, he took one uh, 50% drive from LeBron James and uh, went down with it. Would seem, honestly, it seemed like a non contact injury. Uh, it seemed like it happened a little bit before they made contact, which is unfortunate. But yeah, like I'm not worried about time. Zion getting hurt from another player. I mean, yeah, it's possible, mm-hmm. you know, especially if somebody like undercuts you Patrick Beverly style or whatever. But, you know, sure. Pat, Pat's about to retire. And I feel like that kind of player is kind of being phased out of the NBA for the most part. Um, but, yeah, I fully accept, expect Zion to get a super max. So looking ahead for, for Denver in particular, I when I think about what decisions we're gonna to have to make next as a team, we the team itself, not you know, I'm not a part of the team. I'm just a fan. I just give them my attention, love, and money. Um so Bruce Brown and I think Zeke Naji are kind of the two guys that I think about as kind of the next round of major decisions. Bruce kind of especially being a newer addition, uh Jake. How do you kind of see what the process might be for him as far as like staying or going? Yeah, so Bruce can opt out of next year's contract. So he has a player option. He'll be unrestricted at that point, uh, which means he's free to sign wherever if he wants to. Uh, The Nuggets will have what's called non-bird rights on him, which means they can give him a 20% raise above what he's getting paid this year. Um, okay, that and that would be about be 10, give him. $10 million. He looks like he's at 6.8 right now going in for that next year's contract if he buys in yeah, 6.5 so, now. So he'd probably be at like a little bit over eight then next year with that 20% raise, um, which which isn't like a lot. And I think one thing you have to think about with Bruce is if the Nuggets do get injured a lot this year, he's probably going to be mm-hmm. starting some games, like a good amount of games. And if that's the case, you know, he's he might be a, a really popular guy next summer for teams to want to sign. And that's when you worry about your ability to, to be able to pay a guy like that. Um, but he could also just opt out and re-sign. That's something that we saw Jermichael Green do. Um, when he originally signed in Denver, he had a one plus one. He opted out after the first year and then just took a raise. Uh, so that's definitely a possibility for Bruce as well. That's what I would hope happen. Like best case scenario. I mean, plays well, 
decides it's such a great fit, opts out and signs another one plus one just for the safety. And then he can opt out after two and sign like, you know, more of a more substantial deal if he likes it, you know, the fit playing with Denver. Yeah, for sure. Like if, if he were to, to take another one plus one after this year, then the Nuggets would have early bird rights on him. Uh, they'd be able to almost double his money. It'd be 175%. So, hmm. um, you know, they could easily find a number there that would work for maybe like a three-year deal or something. Uh, so, so that is the hope for sure is that Bruce likes it. He wants to stick around. But in the back of your mind, there's always a possibility that Jokic makes him look really good. Um, which he is good, yeah, but kind of Jokic makes him look even better and, and prices himself out. Yeah. Yeah. That's possible. Is he uh, extendable? No, not, not right now. So, um, you would have to wait until he either opts out, uh, or if he opts in, I think they might be able to do some extension talks next year. I'd have to look into the rules on that one for sure. But but right now you can't do anything with him until uh, next summer when he makes a decision. So, uh, Jake, okay. I, I've seen this take floating around that if Bruce Brown plays well to start, since he's can technically opt out at the end of the year, it might make sense for the Nuggets to trade him in the middle of the season for more assets. But to me, the Nuggets are in, in championship mode, not asset collection mode. So I'm just curious on your thoughts on like, would that even make sense? I mean, it would have to be like a really, I think some unforeseen things would have to happen for that to make sense. Like either somebody would offer you like a ridiculous overpay for him. Um, then you would obviously take it. Or if like, if Christian Brown just looks like incredible, like first team all rookie, mm -hmm. then in that case, right. you know, you might move him. Or if Davon Reed looks amazing, uh, those are like the, really unforeseen scenarios where it might make sense. But I personally would be really surprised if he's not on the roster um, come come the playoffs. So me too. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's a long shot. I would imagine what well, like the question is what, what return would you really get for Bruce Brown? And I'm not sure it would be worthwhile worth the squeeze, so to speak. I mean given especially given that he only makes six point five million dollars a year. I mean what what yeah. who would you bring back, you know, that would make sense as an upgrade. Um, who is also right. going to be you know, that talented. Um, yeah, be... I mean, I know last year there was some talk at the trade deadline, and I heard there was a national national reporter, I think, that said that people wanted Jeff Green from the Nuggets and that maybe a protected first-round pick was on the table, which I was kind of surprised by. But when you think about guys like Bruce Brown or even Jeff Green – you know, contenders want those guys. So they're not trading you like a really good player for Bruce Brown. They're going to trade you a pick or something. So, yeah, it just it just wouldn't make much sense to me to to move off of him. So. Hmm. OK, and I think the other kind of big decision for the Denver Nuggets is kind of Zeke Naji. Uh, can you talk a little bit about his contract situation and, you know, what do you think uh, his options are and the team's options? Options are because I think that is relevant for him, especially uh, when it comes to sticking around in Denver. Yeah. So Zeke's halfway done with his rookie deal. Um, he has two more years, which means that next summer, prior to his final year, the Nuggets can extend him if they'd like to. 
Uh, one thing about rookie extensions is you hear a lot of guys who sign like max extensions, um, but you don't often hear about guys who are signing things for way under the max and extending. Uh, there are mm -hmm. other cases where guys might, like if they're really injury prone, they might take a, a sub max deal because they want to secure that long-term money. I believe that's what like OG and Anobi did. Um, so he's obviously not on a max and people would say he's underpaid right now because he's healthy. Um, but that, I think that was a case of somebody who signed a, a less than max extension. So there are cases of that. Um, but my guess is Zeke probably plays out his rookie deal. Um, and then in two years from now, uh, that's when the Nuggets would make a decision on, on keeping him or not. And at that point he would be restricted. Uh, so you can match any offers he gets. Um, but yeah, like I said, they could, they could visit it next year. Um, I just wouldn't bet on them getting a deal done next year. So Jake, okay. that's because, uh, like you mentioned, unless it, they're an injury prone player, it's going to be a situation where they're not worth the max. So it's not offered. And the players 99% of the time going to just want to bet on themselves to say, Oh, well, I'm going to play better in my fourth year and therefore I'll be worth more. So they're just betting on themselves. That's not why they're not signing these extensions early, right? Yep, that's totally it. And there are cases, like I said, where guys will, and sometimes it's injuries, sometimes it's just really liking the team they're with. Um, but most guys, they want to bet on themselves, especially going into year four. Um, most guys would assume they're going to get more playing time if they're not getting enough and things like that. So that's usually why you see guys go all the way to restricted free agency. All right, so staying with Zeke here, looking at the roster. So next year, you still have MPJ under contract. He'll be in the second year of his five-year max. Uh, and you'll have Aaron Gordon in the second year of his deal. So they'll st still have time on their deal after that. Um, could you see a scenario where Zeke plays so well that either of those guys become available, or do you think those guys are pretty much locked into starters on the Nuggets? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I would say that I think Zeke would have to do some pretty crazy things for that to be the case soon. But I also think that, you know, Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. aren't necessarily off the table right now. I think the Nuggets just value them a lot higher than what people would offer for them, especially Michael Porter because of his injury situation. Um, but, you know, if the right deal came up for either of those guys, I think Denver's definitely listening. Uh, they're not untouchable. I don't even think Jamal Murray's untouchable. Uh, so, you know, most guys you're listening if people call and uh, if, if they're willing to give you value above what you see or at least at what you see, then I think it's a conversation. But I would be surprised if Zeke was the one that forced that. I think it's more, more just listening for what people are willing to offer. So, right, yeah, that would be that would he would have to hit some pretty high high heights to to make either one of those guys leave town for him to take their spot. Um, what do you think is more likely? Do you think it's more likely that he plays well enough that the Nuggets really want to keep him? and re-sign him or do you think it's more of a 
Malik Beasley's situation where he's good, but the Nuggets don't want to be all in on him and, and might trade him to get something back uh, for the future. Yeah, that's always it's always something to think about, especially when you think about who's on the roster and who might be stealing playing time from him. Because, you know, if, if Zeke doesn't fit at the five and Michael Malone has to choose between Jeff Green and Zeke, you know, it could be could be a situation where someone like Jeff is taking his minutes. So if that was the case, you might see like a Beasley situation where in his final year of his deal, it's the trade deadline. And you're like, well, we just have to get rid of him because, you know, he's not going to stay here. Um but I'm plug you know, Waka into the conversation. I feel like he's also going to be in that mix as far as like guys in the app playing the three, four. Um, that yep. it's going to be stiff for him. Uh, that's not to say that he won't play well, but I also think there's a lot of options there. In that, it's who are they playing the five? Are they playing the three? Are they playing the four? Yeah. I don't know exactly, but there are a lot of guys there. And like, and like Jordan, personally, he's a five. I'm a I'm a believer in Zeke. I really like some of the skills he has. Um, so I'm hoping crossing my fingers that, that he pans out at the five this year, um, both because I like him and because I don't want to see Deandre Jordan playing big minutes. Uh, so do you have, um, like an ideal bench lineup, like a full bench lineup, no, no starters, not even a bench lineup, but like a player six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Uh, so like, here's one thing. People are gonna. People might think this is crazy, but I actually think there might be some viability to Ish Smith Bones Highland lineups. Okay, I'm I'm open minded. That might might be a hot take. Make your case. It might be a hot take. But I do like Bones Highland off ball a little bit, and I'm not saying that's your primary bench unit or anything, um, but I do kind of like the look of that a little bit. Um, But I would say that I'd be surprised if that's the primary one. I think the best bench unit is probably going to be Bones, Bruce, Zeke, Jeff. And at the beginning of the year, probably Davon. And hopefully by the end of the year, that's Christian Brown. uh, Because I really like some of the skills he can bring to the table. Um, Will he be a playoff guy? Probably not. He'll probably be the the last man out. And then you take those other four into the playoffs. But uh, that would be kind of my ideal, ideal scenario. I keep forgetting that Ish Smith is on the roster. Like, I never think about Ish when it comes to even the rotation. But then I remember it's like when you look at our roster, after making the the KCP trade, we really don't have any ball handling outside of Bones and Jamal. So if either one of those guys misses time, and obviously we already know Jamal's going to get DMPs on back-to-backs and stuff, they're going to play Ish. So... I'm definitely interested to see like how he meshes with those guys because he is quick. We haven't really had a player of his style uh, in a while. Yeah, yeah. I think the problem you you would face with a Ish Smith Bones Highland backcourt is if you're facing like a Jordan Clarkson or somebody if he's coming off the bench. I don't know what their situation is, but he they would torch you know Bones and Ish Smith. That's not stopping really anybody. Uh, unless Bones makes some really big strides, which he might, but uh, that's where you'd face some issues, and that's when you probably go to to Davon or Christian there. So, 
I would also wonder how they handle like high physicality guard pairings in the league. Not that they're, uh, it's not the mental or emotional aspect of it either. I just think that um, Ish's guy, he's 34. He's, you know, kind of rooted in his first step being um, better than anyone else's on the the court. And I think Bones Highland to a similar degree. I mean, he has a lot um, in his bag as well, as far as like ways he's found to attack the rim. And I think that's been good. Um, but I do wonder, can they avoid getting harassed, I'll say, on the court in that way? Uh, I haven't seen Ish play recently, to be honest. So I think for both him and DeAndre, it's kind of a, uh, I'm not going to write you off, but show me what you got, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think the bench is is going to have a lot of interesting options this year. And I know that... Um, you know, Malone, as much as we criticize him for certain things, he actually does have a lot of openness in try, willing to try new things. So I think that he'll mm-hmm. mix and match bench lineups until he finds something that he likes. But the interesting thing is what we've seen is he usually defaults to the guys that play defense. So And the vets. Yeah. So I don't think Davon has really been talked about much this offseason, but I still feel like he's going to get plenty of opportunities because Malone trusted him a lot for a guy who was on a 10 day and he played well. So he's I, been you know, in I, a lone circle of trust. Yeah. I mean, obviously Brown's going to be ahead of him in the rotation, uh, Bruce Brown, but really? yeah, I think, well, I mean, I think so. I mean, he's getting paid more. I, I, so <laughs> that's, I'm, well, I don't want to say fortunately unfortunately, that is true. Um, but uh, I, I do feel like who got to Malone's circle of trust first? I mean, I still think Davon is um Oh yeah, well well he was on the team I'm last there. year, so Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Malone trusts experience. That's why I think, you know, Ish Smith is gonna get opportunities, is that um it's why Jeff Green gets opportunities, you know. Jeff Green doesn't rebound necessarily. He's not like the best defender, and those are the kind of things that Malone wants, but Malone does have, or Jeff does have Malone's trust. Yeah, but, uh, you know, the, I think we all can all agree on the main piece of the bench is, is Bones Highland. You know, he's the guy that we never get tired talking about as Nets fans. We never get tired about talking about him on this show. So, Jake, I just want to kind of know your, want to know your general feelings. I mean, I, I know it's a super impossible, unfair question to ask, you know, what you think a guy's ceiling is after one year, but... I mean, I think Nuggets fans are still all over the place on this guy. You know, what do you see? All-star, you know, good jump this year or just maybe even regression? Yeah, I think, I guess I'll start with his long-term projection. You know, somebody that has that type of skill set, it's really hard to put a a ceiling on him. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I had to, like, guess... Do I think Bones will be an all-star? I don't think so. Um, But I do think he can be a really high-quality starter, uh, which is great, you know, considering where they drafted him and everything. That's that's an incredible draft pick. Um, I don't know if he's there yet. Like, I don't know if he'll be a quality starter this next year. I think he can fill in, and I think he could be solid. Uh, But his defense uh, is really rough and could use some work. You know, I'm hoping that, I'm hoping that just experience helps with that. Um, And then I also want to see more sustained, longer periods of quality shooting. You know, he can get really hot. Um, But if you look at his season-long numbers, 
they're not like popping out at you that much. Um, but you know, taking like his post all-star break numbers, those are really good. Um, or just going into the playoffs, he had a good stretch there. Uh, so this next year, I think he'll be, I think he'll be solid. And I really like some of his playmaking abilities. Uh, when you take his assist to turnover ratio, it really wasn't that bad. Um, it was pretty good actually. Um, so I'm hoping he continues that and, and limits the mistakes and becomes an even better passer. So, yeah, so he- I mean, all, all great points. I mean, I think it, there's so many different styles of players that progress in their careers and, and then either reach their ceiling or don't. I mean, one guy I always think about who's a very polarizing player in this era is DeMar DeRozan. Because when I saw him as a rookie, I was like, why did this guy get drafted so high? But he got better every single year and he just kept working on his game and he eventually made the all-star team. And even that first all-star team, people were like, really, this guy's an all-star? And like, after a couple more years, everyone was like, oh yeah, he's definitely an all-star. So, you know, we see Bones as a guy who's always in the gym. So he loves basketball, always working on his game. You know, Conley basically said that was like the first reason they drafted him. Like this guy just loves to hoop. Um, so I'm not worried about him putting in the work, you know, cleaning up the mistakes is going to be the big thing because, you know, this is not like a player comparison, but I think as fans, we always like to think about talent level. And when I watch a guy like Fred Van Viet play, I'm like, how the hell did this guy become like an all-star? You know, he's like 5'11", played four years in college, but he just kept grinding. And so to me, Bones Highland is like already more talented than Fred Van Vliet. I don't know if that's a crazy statement, but to me, it's like if Fred Van Vliet can get there, Bones Highland can definitely get there. Yeah, I think uh, talent versus realized talent is always an interesting interesting debate because you could even take a guy like Bull Bull and you could say this guy had really incredible talent. And I'm not comparing Bones he to Bull He is talented. Bull. I'm not comparing the two at all. Oh, it's Bones... a polarizing topic on this show. <laughs> but Is it? So many guys come into the league, you know, and they, ha- they have a lot of really good tools. And luckily Bones is, like you said, Peter, one of those guys that uh, likes to work in the gym. The Nuggets have a habit of drafting those types of guys. And uh, so he's done a really great job already. For sure. Before I divert us into a bowl bowl conversation, um, Bones' final year under contract and Jamal's final year under contract actually line up exactly. Uh, oh, they'll no. both need a new one starting in 25-26. How do you think that plays out? I mean, what, what, what do you see as far as just like possibilities? I'm sure we can't predict for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, between now and then, I'm assuming Bones will be like Denver six man. Uh, all seasons. So. Yeah. And so if he's not starting, like it's probably difficult to envision him being a max level player. Um, and so it's like we said earlier, he'll probably go all the way to restricted free agency, see what he can get. Um, so that's really what I'd expect there is, you know, he'll take it all the way to free agency. Um, and then at that point, it really just becomes a question of, you know, I don't know where he'll be at. Is he on a near level to Jamal Murray? That might be hard to see, mm-hmm. but it's possible. Um, and, you know, they'll both be free agents, like you said, and you'll have to make a decision there, um, which will be super interesting. You know, it'll be interesting to watch over the next few years. 
I suppose uh, it is possible Jamal has an extension by then if he, if he yep. signs it uh, prior to that season. So maybe it's not like an if or at that point, yeah. but definitely something to consider. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, Denver will be paying a lot of guys a lot of money by that year. Um, but like we talked about earlier, the salary cap could be higher than what we're thinking now. So a contract like Aaron Gordon then who's going to be at like 22 million, uh, that could actually be a yep. really good contract by that time. And it's not even bad now, like it's fine now, but right. but it could be really good by then. Yeah, so. no. I think like value relative to production, I think Aaron Gordon is definitely, a, I want to say on the right side of that threshold, not above or below, because I think that, you know, you can, it sounds funny. He's above, you know, the level you should pay him below or not. But He'll be, yeah, making $22 million on a player option, which I would assume that he would accept at that point. He'll be going, he'll be 30, going into his age 30 season, 31 season. So uh, it'll be interesting. Hopefully the Nuggets have had a little bit more success by then. Um, and, you know, they'll, they'll feel pretty confident that he is one way or the other part of the team's future or not. Um, another guy well, that I, wait, sorry, can I make so go one more thing for, yeah. yeah sure. So I think, uh, the interesting thing about bones too, when we talk about on the court is not just individually, but I'm really going to be interested to see what, what it looks like by the time Jamal is playing, you know, the full 30, 32 minutes a game and playing next mm-hmm. to bones. Because I think if, if I remember correctly, Bones played really well when he was the lead ball handler on the second unit. When he had to play the two, you know, next to Faku, he wasn't as effective, you know, which is like partially not his fault, but also, you know, I think we've seen in the past Jamal can be really effective when he's playing the two. So even though Jamal has done more in his career, is the more established player, I kind of want to see what that would look like. You know, would they, would the Nuggets let Jamal sort of play off ball and let Bones be the point guard. And now you have this like really dynamic backcourt where you've got both guys are good enough to be the one, but they're also really good shooters. Yeah. I mean, I think Jamal early on, Jamal kind of thrived a little more than anywhere else, kind of as an off ball guy being able to focus. I mean, I think right now as a point guard, he's still trying to prove himself. So in the few opportunities that he gets to play off ball, he kind of gets to focus more on scoring and and being that first and foremost. Me personally, I'm like a big fan of having two ball handlers on the floor plus Jokic. You know, it's why, Mm. you know, people that have followed like my Twitter for a long time know that I love Drew Holiday and like I wanted him on the Nuggets so bad. And part of that was because he can handle the ball and – you know, so I'm, I'll be curious to see like those Jamal and Bones and Jokic lineups that probably won't be that good defensively, um, but they'll probably really cook offensively. Um, and I'll be curious to see kind of the balance of, of Bones and Jamal, who's, who's uh, doing most of the playmaking and, and who's off ball. I think it'll be super interesting to see what they do there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Drew Holiday is a great player. I love watching him. He's, you know, he's not one of those guys that, like, wows you with anything he does spectacular. I mean, yeah, his on-ball defense is amazing if you if you love that. But he really doesn't do anything, like, below average. And 
the Nuggets basically finished second place in that deal, right? They thought they had them, and then Milwaukee came in last second with like the ridiculous package of all the first round picks and stuff. Yeah, I mean, from all the reports that that we saw publicly, the Nuggets thought they were going to get him, um, and right up at the end, they ended up in second place, like you said, and you know that's tough to read and tough to see, but uh, you know it's something I always joke about. Is I say, I wonder how many championships the Jamal, Drew, Jeremy, Jokic, uh, Nuggets have won by now. They, it's, yeah. it, who knows? It's probably it's like zero a, just because it's like a butterfly that's how it works, sort but, of thing. Yeah. But yeah. Well, Jeremy Grant bad. wouldn't have been cool with that role. Yeah. 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 Seriously. Yeah, he won so. some championships. I don't know. It kind of paves things over. I don't know. We'll see. But it is crazy to see where they've come since that deal didn't happen. To now, you know, I think they've done a good job retooling the roster and stuff. I don't know, Ray. You can win ten straight championships; doesn't really change the demographics of the city of Denver. <laughs> it does change your reputation uh, and your legacy, though. So, I mean, I, there, there's a balance. Yeah. You know, maybe you can he can afford to, to fly in some better food. <laughs> not that there, Denver food is actually not that bad. There are great places to eat in Denver. <laughs> Um, we can have come visit we can have a podcast. Not that bad. <laughs> we can have a we can have a podcast all about where you need to eat when you come to Denver. I'm happy to do that. I've been doing some research. Okay, there's some great tacos. There's some great Vietnamese food here. Um, I can go down the list, but I mean, I kind of to get back to to Bones and Jamal. I almost feel like they could be one of those tandems that um, kind of dictate to other teams where maybe you now have to put out your whatever your version of Faku Campazo is just because you need to work that much harder to cover those two. So I'm actually not too worried about the defense, especially when you combine that with having three pretty long boys in, in Jokic and Gordon and, and Porter, who I will continue to say is not as bad as uh, Twitter wants to define him as defensively. That's just me. Um, and I don't feel like they'll, they'll get by. Get It'll be interesting to see if Denver can figure out like a real death lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, just real quick to touch on the Porter topic. Cause you know, people that also follow me will know I'm a big Michael Porter fan, big Michael, Michael Porter supporter. So Michael Porter supporters. Uh, let's go. Yeah. Me too. Uh, but I did notice at least post All-Star break, uh, his last healthy season, he was still making a lot of loud mistakes, at least occasionally. But I thought like in between, he got a lot better. So like you wouldn't notice, it wasn't as noticeable because it wasn't as loud, but he got better at some of those small things. I thought he made some good improvements. Um, however, he still did have like lapses and those would be really loud mistakes and you you'd kind of cringe and be like, Oh my goodness, man, come on. But, but in between those really loud mistakes, I thought he got a lot better. Uh, so I'm hoping a healthy, healthy MPJ uh, gets even better on that side this year. And the other thing I like to think about is like, he, I mean, there are a lot of NBA players who also make mistakes on defense, even on the Denver Nuggets. So I mean, I think about him improving defensively, but I also don't want to frame it in a way where he needs to be Kawhi Leonard just to be like, okay, you, you're finally there. You're finally there, Mike. You, um, you know, he can be good. And I think that can be good enough. Um, 
is there um, any other players, Peter, you wanted to uh, touch on? As far as like um, looking ahead, we could talk about Vlaco. I'm always happy to talk about Vlaco. Well, so looking at the roster for next year, so still under contract, Christian Brown, Zeke Nagy, Flacco Chanchar, Bones Highland, Peyton mm -hmm. Watson, and Davon Reed. And then Brown, Chanchar, Highland, and Watson are all still under contract the year after that. So I think for the next couple of years, it's really important that uh, Christian Brown and Peyton Watson develop as much as they can whether they're up with the big club or not. I mean, Brown will be. Uh, and, you know, we think Watson will be a lot, but we, he also needs to get some run of the G League. So I think those are two key pieces going forward because eventually, you know, a team that's paying that many high-end guys needs some of the low-end guys to hit, the same way the Warriors did in their sort of run the last few years. Yeah, most definitely. And <clears throat> that's something that can really kill – your ability to build a team. Uh, so like Utah and Portland are like two teams I think of that had a good core, that they were building towards something, but they didn't have enough depth that was coming up that was contributing. And so, None. And so ownership had to either cut expenses. So like Utah, they made some cost-cutting moves over the last year or two. Uh, Portland obviously got rid of McCollum. They had a lot of bad contracts a couple of years ago they had to get rid of. And that's just what happens when you don't have contributing rookie scales is, is your guys, you know, you're having to sign minimum guys and crossing your fingers, they work out and it's just really tough. So, so yeah, I mean, you look at Peyton Watson, Christian Brown, and, and you have to hope that at least one of them can contribute here in the next year or two. You know, guys, that real quick, that, that Utah situation was so weird to me because I don't think I can remember my whole life an NBA team being that good in the regular season and then looking that different in the playoffs. It's like they figured out this perfect system of just incredible offense, you know, spread the court, pick and roll, ping the ball around, but also just funnel everything to go bare. And then the Clippers just said, oh, doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I have, I have to imagine that, you know, for some in some way, and I think we've kind of seen this also with some Nuggets teams as well, you've got to learn to win in multiple ways, where with the Jazz, they kind of did a thing that is excellent and amazing, but it's also a thing that they gave every other team 82 games of, of scouting on and experience with. And, you know, they went once a team was able to say, okay, we can stop that. Now show us what else you can do. I think that's kind of where they hit a wall. And that's not to say that the way that they played basketball is necessarily wrong. Uh, it's just to say that, you know, you've got to have options. You know, even the Warriors, they run a great system. But at the same time, Steph Curry can still uh, hit a step back in your eye and you're going to be like, okay, well, we tried. Well, and, and Steve Kerr isn't afraid to bench guy, right? I mean, did yeah. he bench Draymond for like certain stretches of the fourth quarter and finals this year? Right, right. Um, he's willing to make change. And sometimes that's just what you need to win in a certain situation in a certain game, you know, and it might be unusual. It might be unorthodox, but it's what gets you over. Um, one, one thing Jake I want to ask you about is uh, Peyton Watson. Um, I know we don't have any NBA data points on him yet. So I just, I'll go like a step before what you think about him. 
of going forward if he's going to be good or not. But when they made the pick, you must have been surprised. But now after, you know, hearing about him, you know, and seeing some summer league, do you at least understand thought process of the pick? Yes, I would say when I heard they made the pick, I was disappointed, not because of the player, but just simply for the fact they made a pick. Okay. Um, Because, you know, and that's the one part, you know, I would say I understand, but I still think it might have, I don't know if it was the right move, was that Jamichael trade where they pushed a first-round pick up to 2022 and they traded away 2027. Um, If that was done to get a different veteran with that pick, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can see it. Um, but to do that and then draft not one rookie, but two, uh, and then you drafted Kamigate as well. Um, it was a little questionable to me and I'm not an expert or anything, you know, I'm not in the front office and on those trade calls. So there might've just been nothing out there. That's totally possible. Um, but you know, it was kind of disappointing cause I was kind of like, you know, we traded away a really decent asset that 2027 pick. And I thought we'd use it on a player that could help us win now, you know? And so, so that was kind of my feelings on it then. Um, But as far as the player, I like the measurements. Um, I think he's got the right attitude about how to approach it. Um, Obviously his scoring was an issue at UCLA, um, but the Nuggets obviously see something in him that they think they can either fix or help him improve on. Um, And if they're able to, I mean, those measurements are great, and I think he'll be a good player. So uh, I'm excited to see what he does, and I hope he'll spend some time in the G League uh, to kind of help him build that up. Yeah, part of me wonders that I I don't think it's fair to say this outright, but I kind of feel like it might be a, a case where Calvin just got the job, and so this is like his baby of like, I want to make my mark. Because I think we see that a lot, you know, when teams get new owners, they want to make a splash. And oftentimes new GMs want to make a splash. And it's not necessarily a splash because it's like a low-end first-round pick who's not going to play right away. But everybody still wants to at least have one move that they feel like is, is their idea. So if it works out, he looks like a genius. If not, you know, luckily the rest of the roster is still in place, but it was kind of a move that really caught me off guard. Whereas like, you know, a more seasoned GM probably isn't taking a swim like that. Um, But at the same time, he's been in the front office for a while and had seen Tim playing it safe all these years. I think he just wanted to try something different. Yeah, for sure. And it's possible he's viewing things as, as kind of financial and saying, well, I need these rookie scale guys now so that I can, make more moves that I want to make later. You know, there's always a grand plan that that we're not exactly seeing, but that the front office knows about. Um, and I'm sure they know what they're doing. Um, but, you know, totally agree with you that, um, you know, Calvin came in and he wants to form this team how he wants to form it. I mean, he traded away Will Barton, longest tenured nugget, um, and Monte Morris, probably the best guy in the locker room. So it's pretty big moves he's made so far. Um, And, you know, we're a couple months away from starting to see if it pays off. So far, I believe in him. I mean, in terms of just like, okay, I saw the pick and I had like you guys some questions, but uh, watching his film of 
the time that he has played basketball. I mean, I feel like he has so much potential. And and I know that's, you know, it's kind of like the ball bull thing. Like, oh, yeah, bull has so much potential. And I, and I get that. But at the same time, you know, I, I feel like he is, or, or even, like, I hate this comp too, but Emmanuel Moody, <laughs> where Peyton gets to his spots, like, he gets the looks that he's looking for really easily when he's not, you know, sometimes he does something that's like, oh, I'm new to basketball and I don't dribble properly way. But, you know, he gets a lot of like, he gets the mid range pretty easily. He gets to the rim pretty easily. If he wants a three, he can probably get it because teams are afraid of his uh, interior scoring. If he can convert those things, the sky is the limit for him. But um, the there there is uh, actually, real quick, uh, so Jake, P-Watt or Peyton Swatson? Oh, Peyton. goodness. I definitely don't like P-Watt, so I guess out of... I don't like P-Watt either. Process of elimination, I'll go with the second answer there. All right, Peyton Swatson, it is. Okay. Um, so we've got the Porter Quarter. We've got the Murray Flurry. Um, do we have a better nickname for Nashawn Highland than the Bone Zone? Oh, man. I'm not I'm not a creative guy. I'm a numbers guy to be honest. So <laughs> okay. Uh, nothing off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's some people out there that that'll come up with some crazy stuff. Okay, next time I'll bring you some options. Uh, <laughs> and then the uh, kind of the last thing I wanted to touch on before we uh, wrap up. So I am a big proponent of the way the NFL has a compensatory pick system. Uh, so for People who are not aware, basically, in the NFL, when you have a player in free agency who wants to walk, they leave your team, another team signs them, depending on the money they get, how much they play, things like that, your team, the team that they left, uh, is going to receive a pick in the draft anywhere between the third and seventh rounds. So not you're not getting a first overall pick for losing a star, but you're getting something. Um, so, Jake... Uh, I'm curious if, if you're kind of familiar with the subject, how much do you think a comp pick system would help? And uh, I can I can lay out how I think it would work in terms of where I think they should go, but do you think it's a good idea? Yeah, I mean, I do know a little bit about the NFL system. So... I guess let me hear how you think it would work, and then I'll I'll give you my opinion on it. So I think to start, um, I think the big question, really the big obstacle, is where are you going to place these picks? Because I think for the NFL, it's a lot easier because you do have seven rounds. There's a lot more space to say, okay, we can insert a pick into the third round, and no one's going to bat an eye. Uh, hundreds of players are getting drafted here. I think for the NBA, especially to start, you want to put it in a place where teams don't feel like it's, for lack of a better term, overpowered. Um, so I think like end of the first round, I think if we place uh, a certain number of picks, kind of, I think they should still have the first round designation in terms of contract inflation. So you still get the five years of uh, team control and nobody really cares about the 31st pick, right? I think that's, that's, I don't think anyone's worried too much about it. So I think it would be palatable enough. And so say if you were 
if you were in New Orleans a few years ago and you're thinking about Anthony Davis leaving to the Lakers and, you know, you're worried about him being for nothing, which I think is the big leverage point for a lot of teams is that you don't want to let players leave for nothing. Um, and you do have someone of that caliber. This is kind of the high end. Maybe over the next four years, you get the 31st pick in the draft. Let's let something like that. And for lesser players, obviously it'd be lesser and they would have to be a formula that calculates all this in thinking about things like how much is the player being paid? How much do they play? That sort of thing. Yeah. I think it's a good thing to bring up. Um, and I think it's a system that, you know, I, I, I get the problem it's trying to solve and I agree it's a problem and it's something that we should think about. Um, just because of the way player movements working right now. I would say the thing that I would probably change is, you know, first round designations, those are guaranteed deals. Um, and I think I'd probably want it to be non-guaranteed because if I'm a contender and let's say I lose like four guys in free agency um, or even two, two that have a big deal that would earn a compensatory pick, well, I might not want that guaranteed money on my books. So there's a chance I might want to just get rid of that contract. But I think I think the structure of what you're saying does work. Um, and I think the problem it's trying to solve is, is something good that we should be thinking about. Um, yeah, I think it's just really hard to pick where it would be because yeah, there's no, so many fewer picks in the NBA draft. And so it seems you- like... You know, Back end, you know, yeah. after the second round, that doesn't matter at all. You know, you're barely right. even drafting those guys. I think if teams are really, if, team, if, it, if it works out well, you know, and it work, and teams are feeling like this doesn't, I don't think it's going to make up all the value that you lose by letting a player walk, but it changes the incentives a little bit. It changes the calculus there a little bit. Um, maybe down the road, consider in extreme cases, maybe like, back end of the lottery or something like that and and maybe but for these like in between picks i don't know what to call them either because i don't think i would want to call them like first round picks or not second round picks like first round picks like some like some middle thing that is like i i do agree maybe less guarantees but maybe more if you get to have the team control i don't know that that might I think the players would also have to agree because like the new CBA is coming up and, and that's going to be relevant as far as it'll change the dynamics of how many players are getting drafted and that sort of thing. And I don't know if the players would support it or not. Um, it's uh, I'm not sure, but if it's guaranteed money, they would support it. I would think so. And it gets more players drafted, which I think they would also support, but right. um, it's kind of a, uncharted waters so to speak and i don't know if there's a larger movement to support it but i'm, I'm kind of curious and, and i felt like you would be yeah. as good as a person to ask as any to be honest well yeah like one situation i just thought of was the malik beasley in denver situation so mm-hmm. they felt like they had to get rid of him because they knew they were probably going to lose him to a pretty decent sized deal and so it makes me wonder if that type of compensatory situation is involved does Denver look at it and say, well, if we keep him, we'll at least get a little something and maybe he'll come in handy in the playoffs and maybe they keep him at that point, uh, which, you know, could have changed Denver's playoff performance at that point, which could have been interesting. 
Uh, so there are situations there that I think it would be really cool to see that in use. Um, and I think it would help teams worry more about just being good and worry less about we need to get rid of somebody because we're going to lose them in a few months, which I think is a good thing to solve because uh, you want you want to focus on the on-court product. So, especially for like the farm system teams of the league, respectfully, like not we're not talking about the Lakers. You know, the Lakers are not they're signing huge players and that sort of thing. But we're talking about teams like uh, the, what's going to happen to the Thunder, I imagine, in coming years. Um, teams like I don't know Indiana. You know, the, the sort of minor teams that maybe they have a good player and they just feel like they're struggling with retention and, and that sort of thing. Um, anyway, I definitely appreciate, you know, you being here at uh, us to pepper you with all these questions. Um, Peter, did you want to add anything else? Any uh, any nickname suggestions for 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 bone zone alternatives? Well, I've heard Boneyard. So uh, Boneyard, okay, that's solid. I like that. If we had like a fan section that was especially like you know potent, and they wanted the name of the Boneyard. I would be, I'd be down for that. Yeah, I mean he's he's crossing a lot of dudes up, you know, breaking their ankles. The the <laughs> ankle bone collector. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I gotta work I, on that. It's not bad. We'll work on it. We're not we're not necessarily marketing teams here either. But um, cool. Well, it, it was great ha having you on, Jake. Um, you're welcome to come back anytime and we definitely appreciate you coming on and we appreciate uh, you at home for or at home or at work or on the bus, whatever, for listening. Uh, you can find, again, myself at Rayvon Hackshaw, Peter at Buckets, 80, Buckets Since 88 and Jake at Bronco Squatch on Twitter. And you can find our show at Four Corner Pod uh, as well. So thanks for listening and as always, go Nuggets. Go Nuggets.